Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. My name is Danielle Sullivan. I'm your host. I'm so happy you've returned to join us again today. So I just want to head off today by letting you know that this podcast, the content today, is geared towards adults or adultish people. So if you are under 18 or if you are a parent who often listens with their kids, as I know some of you do, you may want to just review this podcast and the content before passing it along to younger folks. Um, nothing in this is particularly graphic, but we are talking about adult topics such as sex and kink and sexuality. And so depending on your comfort level and the norms in your household, um, you may just want to screen this ahead of time. That said, thanks so much for joining me today. So today on the podcast, we are talking to Jake Maxwell, who is an ADHDer, an autistic and a DJ with Lobo Nightclub. Lobo is a nightclub event that focuses on being sex positive, kink positive, body positive, gender inclusive, and creating a safe space for everybody, including people with various kinds of neurodiversity. A lot of you listeners have asked me to do more podcasts about autism and sexuality, autism and dating, autism and kink, autism and sex play, all these kinds of things. And that is something we are actively working on. Um, but also, um, Jake is somebody who has his foot very firmly in these two worlds of the kink community and the neurodiversity community. And there are a lot of places where those two communities overlap, interplay, um, work together in ways that you might not expect. And so I'm really excited to get into this conversation today. I found it fascinating, interesting. I think a lot of you will really enjoy it. Before we do that, I just want to, as always, thank my patrons over at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Couldn't do the podcast without you. Becoming a patron is the best way to support the podcast. We use that budget every month to figure out who we can have on, what we can manage to edit in time, um, and you know to pay our staff. And so if you like this podcast and you want it to keep going and for us to keep talking, I really encourage you to check out the Patreon. It's a fun place. Uh, we have lots of perks, patreon.com slash neurodiverging. And a last heads up for you in case you somehow missed it right at the beginning. We're talking about sex today. We're talking about kink today. If those are topics you're not comfortable with, no worries. Just skip this one and wait out for the next one. We'll be happy to have you back. Without further ado, here's Jake. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. I'm so glad to finally be here with you today. How are you doing? I am good. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because we were joking uh, before we got on about how like this has literally been an endeavor of epic proportions to make this happen and that we've both just been so excited and committed to making it happen. And yet our neurodivergence has led us to take six months to get here. And I think that that perfectly encapsulates like what this entire episode is hopefully going to be about. Right. So I think it's kind of humorous that within the story of making this interview happen is inherently a lot of what I like represent. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of I was talking with to somebody in a discovery call today about the difference between the cognitive knowing that you have to do the thing 
and actually having the resources, whatever they are, to actually do the thing. Like they're two totally separate types of energy. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for remaining committed. I have just been, I, I've said this to you off, off mic a lot, but I'm just really, really excited to talk to you about this today and to have you on. And I appreciate your commitment. <laughs> I like I said, I've been excited. Um, you know, it's it's very rare that I get given an opportunity to talk about the things that are most important to me. You know, most of the time people want to talk to me about, you know, X or Y. But like I feel mm-hmm. like this interview, although we've attempted to structure it, could end up in any number of places. So I'm just like super stoked, to be honest. Any and all of those places will still be fantastic. So it it barely matters. But to start off though, um, how about would you tell us a little bit about what you do for for a living yes um hi so uh the running joke is that i um press buttons for a living right like quite literally people's buttons and actual electronic buttons (laughs) but in 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 essence i am a professional dj um and event promoter but also ceo of a nonprofit, and also work in some journalism and also do a lot of charity work and so on down the line but at the end of the day um you know, and it's purest. What I often tell people is I'm just a dumb dog who wears a pup hood and presses buttons at kink events. Right. Like and I do all that very happily. Um, And that's kind of what I do. Right. Like I make people happy. Um, I get to travel the country and put on these events that if you had asked me when I was a kid, if this is what I would be doing for a living, I would look at you having no idea what was coming out of your mouth. Um, And I think that in its own nutshell, right, like the way. Lobo lights out, barks out, which is the event I run with my my brother by choice, Corey. Its journey, in a lot of way, mimics my life's journey. So I think it's it's very it's very humorous that uh my job is going around and creating these spaces for people to just express themselves, and I love it. I am so halfway. I don't know if it's envy or jealousy, but <laughs> the idea one parallel anyway as a coach is that helping neurodivergent people and any any kind of person really but especially neurodivergent people many of whom are queer trans in the king community etc find safety and find authentic ways to express themselves is such a big part of my gig and i think it's so interesting that like in some ways we're doing very different things but in some ways we're doing very similar things from completely different angles and i'm just so grateful like that we both exist that there's both kinds of avenues yeah i think that's part of what makes like the community of like we like, like that we are in like so special right is that you know people who look at the world in one way will tell you that it's black and right right like there's only one correct way to do things and then you have people who are like look man it doesn't matter how you get across the finish line whether you go left right straight back jump whatever you do as long as you get to the finish line mm-hmm. that is what matters i fall into that camp right i don't care if you got to go around in circles a hundred times as long as you get there you get there mm-hmm. and i think that that's what's so cool about our community right is that like there are so many people trying to do the best they can to help people from so many different approaches and not every single approach is for every single person Mm -hmm. but having so many options in theory should cover everybody so everybody's got a part to play and that's what i think i love the most yeah and you said the the ways we get to our finish lines i also think that we are both in places where we're trying to help our clients or event goers or whoever we're working with decide their own finish line like that it's a choice where you're finishing at and you're not stretching towards some societal neurotypical kind of finish line you're going for your own that you've chosen 
a lot of why I ended up starting Lobo was because I kind of got fed up of trying to meet the standard definition of what everybody else expected of me, right? Like, I mm -hmm. kind of, you know, just to give a little bit of backstory, I had worked in politics for 12 years, and, like, that was great and awesome and super fun as someone with high-functioning autism. You learn real quick how to communicate in that field. So that's mm -hmm. partly how I got so good at kind of, like, overcoming some of my neurodivergence, I guess you would say. It still is a very large part of my life, and I'm very proud of that. But you learn real quick in that field that you got to figure it out or it's, it's not going to work. So I had a trial by fire is what I often say, mm -hmm. um, which helped kind of set the stone. But after a while, I was like, you know, I'm like 22. I just worked on a presidential election. I had been a deputy campaign manager and I just wasn't happy. Like I wasn't like excited. And I had, you know, bless my mom. I love her to death. Single mother did her the best that she could. Right. Like, mm -hmm. but we don't have the best relationship and I don't have the best relationship with my family. And after a while. I did some introspection. I was like, you know, I need to stop trying to fit the mold of what everybody else is trying to force me into and just be what I want. And what I wanted was to create a space where everybody else could not have to go through some of the struggles that I had to go through and just have a space that welcomed them without having to feel like they had to jump through 17,000 hoops to fit in. So for folks who are just coming to know you through this podcast, could you tell us a little bit about what Lobo is? And Right. Yeah. yeah. So Lights Out, Barks Out uh, was created originally as an event for the pup play, pet play, kink community handlers and furries. When we launched it, I had no idea that four years later we would be in as many cities as we are, that we would have such a community or that it would be a success. Right. Like I walked in to the historic DC Eagle that is now no longer in existence in 2019 or whatever it was, 20, I think it was 2019 in July, right before the COVID happened. And we launched this event and we thought maybe 10 people and we had 300. And I looked to my friends and I'm like, uh-oh, like we have a problem <laughs> here because we had not prepared that. And none of us had been, we'd all worked in nightlife and done DJ stuff, or, but none of us had ever run a business, mm -hmm. let alone a business with a staff. And there I was suddenly presented, right? Like with the, the, the like, okay, well, now I've actually got to make this thing work because people expect this to be more than a one-off. Yeah. Um, so it started off very much so as a collection of friends creating an event for people to come and express themselves. Now, to understand how we got there, though, you got to kind of backtrack a little bit into 2018, which is that, you know, I had been a DJ. And over time, I got really sick and tired of being told by other promoters or other events that they loved my music or that they loved, you know, what I was doing, but they didn't love the way I looked and they didn't love the way that I presented as non-binary or this, that, or the other, or my medical was an issue, whatever it was. And so finally I looked to my friends and I said, fuck this, let's mm -hmm. just do our own thing. Um, Because one of the things that had bugged us was essentially that if you've ever been to a circuit party, which is basically an LGBTQ like party, um, very ravey, started underground in the 70s, has a whole history. Look it up. It's super awesome. Um, but it is very much so a certain type of crowd that attends them. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to be the anti-establishment circuit party, which was the everybody else where the circuit boys would come in and feel like they were the ones slightly out of place as opposed to the other way around. Mm -hmm. And we have since grown to encompass everybody, but that's what, that was the intention that started. That was what it started as. What it is now is a very, very, very different beast. What it represents now is a sense of community, a sense of expressing yourself to whatever kinks that may be, as long as it is legal and not harming anybody. I want to stress that. Um, a place for all genders, all sexualities, 
all race, everybody, regardless of how they look, how they feel, size, whatever it is, to come and be themselves and have this sense of community where they can like just be who they are without being judged. And, uh, you know, it's been a journey. Um, as I often tell people, we haven't always gotten it right. Like, I'm very forefront about that. Like, we've made mistakes along the way, and we're going to continue to. Like, we're not perfect, but we learn from them, and we strive to be the best that we can be, which is all anybody can ask for. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think when I tell them that I am neurodivergent and have mitochondrial disease and I'm ADHD and start listing off all the other things that come with it, they're like, how, what? This is not what we expect. And I'm like, yes, I know it's not what you expect. That's partly why we do it is to show that like, you know, not, I would actually say 80% of our staff and upper management is neurodivergent. It's kind of hilarious that this thing runs when you think about it. It's a miracle in its own right. You know, I mean, you literally have a staff that, that we work with and our co-owners and everybody that is neurodivergent, ADHD, OCD, bipolar down the line. And yet somehow, some way against every odd that would say we should not be able to run this thing in multiple cities, it happens. So like that is kind of like the flag that I would plant in the ground to describe it is we're just a bunch of dorks who happen to figure it out. For me, if it's a special interest, if I'm really motivated, I will figure out how to make the thing happen. Like, and there's a way that creating community, it sounds like the way you speak about it, but also how I think of it, creating community when you've never had a community of your own is so highly motivating to me and so important that it's really easy to drive energy in that direction, you know, yeah. at the expense of maybe things I quote unquote should be doing, but I would rather, I would rather. So, okay. A couple of things that we could, directions we could take, but I would love yeah. to talk about just to start. So just the nightclub experience on its own is really hard for a lot of types of neurodivergent people. Sure. And I know off the record or off uh, recording the other day, we were talking about accessibility in those places. Yeah. So could you just give us some examples of what are some things that you've kind of specifically set up in these events to make them make it so that neurodivergent people can come and can feel safe and welcome and not immediately alienated by all the stimulus and stuff? Yeah. Uh, to start <laughs> with that, I think the question that first off I should answer is why did you even become a DJ? And the answer is because I <laughs> wanted to go clubbing without being around people like mm -hmm. straight up. That was it. I wanted to go to the nightclub, but didn't want to be surrounded by a bunch of people in the crowd. <laughs> I got real tired of people like pushing and shoving. I'm like, OK, how can I do this thing that I love without having to be here? And I'm like, got it. I got to be there. Yeah. So like that's 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 what started it. And mm -hmm. of course, my dad was a DJ at Studio 54. And so there was pedigree like I had done it and it had been in my family. But nevertheless, the ultimate driving factor was I wanted to go clubbing and didn't want to be surrounded by people. Now, it is funny that even though I didn't want to be surrounded by people, I am now consistently surrounded and mobbed by people. So either way, we ended at the same goal. Um, But yes. So the biggest thing that we have experienced is that uh, most nice clubs have this concept where it starts loud and then it's got to be louder and then it's got to be so loud that you question if you're even hearing anymore. Right. Like we, we don't we don't really think that's how it should work. So the first thing that we try to do is create accessibility for people who have sensory overload issues. We have spaces at all of our events or as many of them that can accommodate the space where we have a chill room or a place where if people need just a sensory break, they can go and relax. Right. Like because we get it like going to an event like this, especially for the first time is overwhelming as hell. I've been there. I get it. My friends have told me we've dragged people and we get it. 
Um, the other thing we make a point is whenever we know someone is coming for our first time, we make sure that we introduce them to all of our staff and make sure that then we assign somebody to kind of like introduce them to people in the community who would be good for them to know so they don't feel like they're doing this alone, right? Because mm -hmm. that is like a very scary thing. Yeah. Um. So that's one thing we do. Um. You know, some of the other stuff we do is we we obviously take consent incredibly seriously, right? Like I know as somebody who's a virgin, I don't want to be touched like without being asked and giving clear consent. And I know that sometimes when I give clear consent, it isn't necessarily straightforward or someone thinks I'm giving consent when I am not. So we do this wonderful thing where we give like consent bans and mm -hmm. we encourage people to follow that. And we have a zero tolerance policy for that violation. If you violate it once in a year, just gone from our events, period. Like, I think people have this idea of what accessibility is in their minds. And I don't think it always has to present itself in this traditional way. Right. Like it is inherently true that some of our events do not have the ability to like have wheelchairs. And that's just kind of way that some of the buildings are. And there's nothing we can do about that. That isn't to say that we don't look for venues that are accessible. That is obviously the first goal in anywhere we look. Um, I think that there's this idea that you can't be an accessible event unless you're doing all of these things, right? Hmm. I think that there are steps that everybody can take. It's just getting creative. So one of the things we're working towards is creating events that like are sensory friendly some of the time, maybe once a quarter without super flashy lights and super heavy haze and super loud volume. And doing things where like we reach out to the community that is actually going to need some of these, you know, things and ask them what they would like to see instead of just assuming on their behalf. Mm -hmm. If anybody's listening to this and, and is, is in that category of people who assume on our behalf, please take note. We talk to our community and get the input from them directly to see what we can do to make a better event experience for them. And so I think that that's like what our goal is, right? Because I could sit here and just take random stabs at the dark and think that maybe this will work, but it's much easier for me if I have a directive from someone who would actually use it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, a, a lot of the struggle with any event, right, is that figuring out competing access needs. Like some people are going to need a quiet room. Some people are going to need more stimulation. Some people are going to need this. Some people are going to need that. So really aiming at who are you, who do you, who is there already? Who are you bringing in? that you want to make sure feels comfortable and safe and and has what they need in that event. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we're especially proud of is that like, look, you know, um, at the end of the day, we realize that our event may not be everybody's cup of tea, but we know of a lot of other events. And so if our if you come to our event, and you're like, hey, like this isn't for me, we'll point you in the direction of other things that we think you might enjoy. We want to take care of our community. And so some people like really like drag shows and then some people really like clubbing and then some people don't want to go out at all. And so it's more about like we have people who join our Telegram chats who don't come to the events, but just mm -hmm. want to be in the Telegram chats to be a part of the community to have that like chatting aspect. And so in that regard, I think that it's acknowledging that we aren't always going to be the space in every city for everyone. And if we were trying to do that, the event would never work. We have to do what we can to make it as safe for everyone. But it doesn't mean we can't keep growing and evolve to continue to get better, which is ultimately the goal. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Doing Being everything for everyone is not a reasonable goal, is not an achievable goal, and doesn't really help anyone. Can we talk more? Um, or one thing we were talking about, talking about, talking about, <laughs> when we were discussing this episode, um, was what you alluded to, the consent piece, that um, in neurodivergent circles, a lot of us have different ways of different styles of communicating. A lot of us are much more blunt. Some of us don't like eye contact. Some of us are nonverbal or non-speaking. You use the wristband system, which I know a lot of places use, which is fantastic. But we are talking about all the ways that consent can be challenging to find or understand because of sure. all these communication differences. So what are your thoughts on kind of consent in the kink space, especially as a neurodivergent person? And are there practices that you have in place either in your club or in your, you know, scenes that you've observed to make consent more clear and easy to understand for everybody involved? You know, it's one, it's it's like the golden ticket question, right? Like as a nightclub event first, we're busy. There's a ton of people. And so we train our dancers when they're on the dance blocks to constantly be looking for anything mm-hmm. that might look like it's not the way it's supposed to be. And then they flag us down if, if something obviously needs to be addressed. But ultimately, the the bottom line answer is if you feel like you haven't gotten a clear answer for consent, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. it it's really that straightforward. So I always encourage people, like, even if someone you think has said yes, double, triple, quadruple check. And if you start doing stuff and you're sensing like something's off, stop and reaffirm. Mm-hmm. Because the thing about consent is while it can be given, it can sure as hell be taken away at any time during a scene. Mm-hmm. And I think that people often forget that. I think that people assume once consent is given, it's standing. It is not. Consent can be given and taken away and given back at any time. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the joy of consent. It's your own choice when you feel like you've gone too far that should be respected um so in the club space we can only do so much we try to encourage people educate people and make sure that they are aware we put signs up around the room to -hmm. let people know what the colors represent and we have security people consistently walking around that isn't to say that we don't miss things we do um but we do the best that we can within the sphere i often tell people that one of the biggest things everyone can do is even if they're not staff for the event, if they see something that looks off, get a staff member or just like check on that person. Mm -hmm. I know it may seem awkward, but like that is a thing that really can go a long way. And then obviously on the flip side of that, if for some reason your consent is violated, let us know (laughs) because we can't fix it if we don't know about it. And this is one of the biggest struggles as a nightclub event is we often hear about things months after the fact and at that point, it's like we can't like remember three months back and we we can't fix it in that moment unless we know about it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the it's the adage of like, well, we'd like to fix this. But if we don't know what's happening, we can't alleviate the problem. Um, So that's how I would explain it from a nightclub aspect. I think in a dungeon ask kink aspect, the, the, the main thing that people could understand is that people communicate differently. Right. Like I think. Kink has done a pretty good job of this, but could still do better. But I think that people seem to have this 
idea that everybody communicates the same way and that if they don't, they're wrong, right? And that's like not the way to think about it. I think that first and foremost, understanding how somebody communicates their own version of consent is key, right? Because what somebody giving consent as in one way may not be the same for somebody else. And I think that's where we start getting into the gray area of like, what do we do? And so I think a lot of that comes down to education, right? Mm -hmm. Which is educating the general, the public that like, just because one person gives consent X way doesn't mean everybody does. Like the general, the general understanding is you ask someone for consent and they say yes, but that's not necessarily how it is for everybody. Because sometimes I feel like really pressured to say yes. And then maybe I don't want to say yes. And then maybe I've said yes. And I'm trying to figure out how to get out of it. And so then you get into that like spiral, right? So on our side, one of the things we try to do is educate our community on how to give consent and what to do if they feel like their consent has been violated and ways to end scenes if they feel like they are not being respected. Do you have any recommendations for if there are folks listening who are neurodivergent and are interested in joining their local kink scene? Where can they start to learn? Obviously, they can go and talk to people, but for those of us who are homebodies and scared of new people, are there websites, YouTubers, books that you could <laughs> recommend for folks who are trying to to learn about this stuff? Yeah, I mean, so I think, you know, it obviously depends where you live. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing I recommend to people um, is, you know, find your community. So if you're LGBTQ, uh-huh. find that local gay, kink, whatever it is, community, reach out to them, find out where they gather. If you're in the pet play, figure out if there's a paw group and then slowly, slowly, ease your way in find some friends and have them take them with them to events so that you do not walk in alone Mm -hmm. because unfortunately one of the biggest problems is that even though i love this community and i do truly love the king community i will not sit here and say it is perfect and there are people who will happily take advantage of people who they can sense are new and put them in the situations that they don't know how to handle Mm -hmm. and that is where we get into the situations of like, uh oh, now we're entering abusive territory and what do we do? Mm-hmm. And so I think having a group of friends that you trust before you enter into a space is a good situation or knowing the event organizer or reaching out or creating this kind of communication so that these to so the whoever is there is knows that you are a first timer and they mm-hmm. will then inherently know as event organizers, okay keep an eye on this person introduce them to people and that's how it should go yeah. um but i think that like you know google is a good is a good way to like express and learn about kink there's a lot of podcasts out there so i would check that out but also i think just going in with an open mind right mm-hmm. and understanding that as i often say everybody's kink isn't for everyone but we don't judge mm-hmm. And that is a big part of it, I guess, is what the advice I'd give is if you're going to come in and you're going to check it out, go into it, learn about it, be respectful of the space, be understanding of the space. And then also, you know, take those steps to meet people and create your own little community. Yeah. Thanks very much. Um, Another thing we were talking about the other day was and what you alluded to when you were talking about the makeup of of your board and and everybody who's involved in Lobo, a lot of neurodivergent folks end up in some piece of the kink community. Yes. 
And that's something that I think you've seen as well, right? A lot of my clients, <laughs> a lot of my friends, you know, what do you think is so welcoming about, I know this is a broad question, but what ideas do you have about what makes kink and the kink community so welcoming to people who think like us, act like us, behave like, who have brains like ours? I think what's appealing about it is that it's on its own at the get-go before anything else counterculture, mm -hmm. which is inherently what like neurodivergent is looked at. It is, mm -hmm. kink has always been viewed as the anti-establishment, whatever it is, right? It's always been like the, oh no, these people aren't normal sort of thing. And I think that that inherently to us who are neurodivergent, like I know I wear the, oh, you're not normal thing, like a badge of honor. I'm like, you're damn right I'm not normal yeah. and I'm damn proud of it because I am allowed, I can see things that other people can and that makes me super excited. So I think that that is the first major appeal that already that community is going to be like, yeah, fuck it, come on, come mm -hmm. on in. Like, you know, um, I think that's the first thing. And then within that community, there are so many subsets of things for people to explore that almost everybody can find something, right? Yeah. And even if you can't, your thing may just be that like you're vanilla and that's mm -hmm. okay. But even then we'll say, come on in and hang out, right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. okay. Um, and so I think ultimately what's appealing about it is that everybody there is already of the mindset of, yeah, we know what's going on. And isn't going to look at you like you have three heads. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it. And then the second thing I think people learn about it as they explore it is that it's hella freeing, right? Like it allows you to finally kind of go from thinking about how you're basically raised if you're neurodivergent to think that you're different and you need to fit everybody else's norms to going to a community where like, no, 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 no. You create whatever you want it to be, and mm -hmm. that is your norm, and everybody else has to accept that. And so it's very freeing and starts to kind of change the mindset. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think just draws people to it is that, like, it is starting from a place where most of us are already. So yeah. we're just like, yeah, you know, it's not a very big adjustment. And same thing with like punk or all these other countercultures. I think that it's very appealing. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot so, of sense. Yeah. So, how about we pivot a little bit? And we sure. talk more about sex and being neurodivergent and as much as you want kink to be a part of that, right? Um, I think that a lot of folks who are not in the scene think that kink needs to be inherently about sexual gratification. Sure. And I think that's like a huge piece of it for a lot of folks, but also... There's a lot in kink that's about, as you said, the community building, the communication styles, the um, validation of being able to be yourself in, in sure. a room full of other people like you. Um, but I know a lot of neurodivergent folks that I work with also report challenges with like dating and relationships and sex because the neurotypical norms for those things don't always support us. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about kind of your experience of how neurodivergent sex and sexuality can differ from neurotypical. And I know that's a hugely broad question. Yeah. I'm not trying to encompass all neurodivergent people in that. No, of course But not. just to say there are some um, themes, I guess, that I see pretty often. And I am engaged to the love of my life, uh, who I <laughs> met through Lobo. 
by the way. Yes, thank you. Uh, we I proposed to him at Lobo. I met him at Lobo. Like, so it's very much this is a part of our life. We had to do the proposal twice because my mom got upset that she wasn't at the first one, so we had to do a second one. And that's and, really and, cute. So, yep. So she got real moody. So she flew in from San Diego, and I proposed to him a second time at a second Lobo. So we've been doing it right. Like we're doing the thing. However, however, we are both hell on neurodivergent, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and they both manifest in a very different way. And that is a struggle, but also we make it work, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's where the baseline is. I think that every single person who is neurodivergent has their own unique thing when it comes to like cuddling or sex or this or that. And not any one of them reacts the same, mm -hmm. right? Like my fiance, for example, super romantic wants to be cuddled and touched and all that stuff me the thought of cuddling somebody makes me want to like jump out a window mm -hmm. like, i do not like to be touched unless it is inherently leading to a sexual activity then cuddle me as long as it ends with like some sort of sexual activity mm -hmm. um however there is a middle ground so we work to try to meet both needs whereas i am very like hypersexual uh my partner is not as so like mm -hmm. it kind of manifests in different ways um but it all comes down to communication, right? And talking to each other and figuring out, like, in a relationship, for example, what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, my generation especially is not of the mind that monogamy is the only way to do things. I think my generation looked at that and said, nah, like, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. Like, there are some people who love monogamy and awesome, cool for them. But I also think a lot more people are looking at open relationships and polyamory in a more normal light and being like, look, not everybody can deliver everybody's needs. And one person, you know, as long as everybody's mm -hmm. communicating, it's OK. But that all relies inherently on communication. And then the mm -hmm. follow up question is always, well, neurodivergent and communication aren't always the strongest suits, are they? So there have been many, and I do mean many articles about what it's like dating someone who's neurodivergent as someone who isn't neurodivergent mm -hmm. and what you can try to do. But ultimately, it's all about working within your confines of your relationship, right? The bigger inherent conversation is our society has been raised that sex and talking about sex is taboo. Like it is inappropriate and we just shouldn't talk about it. I think the hell of that, mm -hmm. right? Like I think be open, express, talk about yourself, like know your space, like don't necessarily talk about your sexual escapades, like at a fancy five-star restaurant, unless like that's the thing. But like, also you don't have to be shy about it. Like I think sex happens. It is a part of life. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to talk more openly about it. Yeah. Um, when we talk about how it manifests and how to handle it, my biggest advice to people is just know your boundaries, right? understand that it's okay to push them a little bit but know where your hard lines are and once you've established them if you're going to pursue a relationship or even just a casual encounter make sure that you make it crystal clear to people what they are you know i i have a nine page spreadsheet with all of my kinks what mm -hmm. i like even ones i don't like every single kink that you can think of it's on that spreadsheet and it's listed on that spreadsheet how i feel about it is it a soft limit? Is it a hard limit? Is it something I really enjoy on a one to five scale? And I give that spreadsheet to anybody I'm going to do kink play with and make sure they understand where I feel on all of those. And the reason is I want it crystal clear what I'm okay trying to push boundary wise. What is a hard limit for me? And what if you do to me, I will melt. And like that is how I feel I need to express it. 
Now, obviously, I'm not saying everybody should go and make a nine-page spreadsheet on what they sexually like. But maybe for me, they should. I mean, it, it helps. But like seriously, writing stuff down mm-hmm. and having it so that it gets really freaking tiring anytime I meet somebody being like, okay, here's this medical condition. Yeah, neurodivergent. Here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. Because every time I meet somebody on any app or anything, the question is, what are you into? And it's like, you know what? The hell with that. Here's a list. Read mm-hmm. it. If you're into it, great. If not, see it later. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and I just, to me, that's, that's, I streamlined it because I got real tired of having to go through all this stuff. Um, So writing it down sure as hell helped me figure it out. Um, yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is that as you grow and evolve and do more stuff, things that you thought might have been hard limits or soft limits may become things you enjoy. Mm-hmm. And having an open mind is great. Getting to the place where I am now has been a journey um, because disability inherently, even outside of neurodivergent and kink, is viewed as something that shouldn't happen or is too much work or like a lot of people don't want to put effort into. And I just disagree. I think that anybody can do anything sometimes you just got to do a little extra work to make it safe or make it accommodable. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I fall. Yeah. And I think a lot of the stereotype is that disabled people just shouldn't be sexual at all or aren't sexual or don't have sexual urges, which is a whole wrong, a lot more like a whole different layer of, of difficulty. But I think what I really appreciate in your discussion of like those boundary pieces is that it's important for a partner to hear your boundaries and respect them, but you need to be able to communicate them. And if you yes. don't know what your where you are with that, and you haven't done the work of either making your, I love the spreadsheet idea. Um, yeah. if, if potential partners could just hand me a spreadsheet, that would save so much energy. <laughs> That would yeah. be amazing. So I, um, I actually have a neurodivergent yeah. friend who is a kink mm-hmm. therapist who specializes yeah. in therapists for the kink community who has made an actual like nine page document for yeah. people to fill out that is even more in depth than my spreadsheet. That <laughs> is a really great way for people to start. A lot of us who are disabled in one way or the other are so used to having to disclose to everyone like here's all like you were saying, here's this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. But we're still sometimes trained to be afraid to talk about sex with our intimate partners. If, if the if the spreadsheet, if the list, if journaling about it, if whatever, if watching porn together and talking about it is going <laughs> right. to help you figure out what you like and what you don't like as a starter, then you can communicate about it. But if you are scared to even think about it, then how is your partner supposed to respect your consent if you can't even? So I think there's a balance there. That's just what I wanted to tease out. And you said all this, I'm just repeating you, but yeah. I just really appreciated that balance between it is your partner's job to make sure they have your consent, but it's your job to make sure that you are as best you can aware of all the things you need to do and able to be able to consent fully, you know, and I think one of the things is that you're right. It's a two way street, right? Like it it takes two or three or however many to tango in this case. But Mm -hmm. like the thing is, everybody's got to work at it as a unit, right? It's not just one sided. If I am screaming into the void and it's not being received, then I'm just screaming into the void, Mm -hmm. right? But if I'm screaming into the void and that person is, quote unquote, screaming back at me, okay, now at least we have a baseline. But what is important is that, yes, you have to communicate as best as you can. And then your partner has to understand you as best as they can. And then if either of you feel like during a scene or whatever it is, there was a miscommunication or Mm -hmm. a line was crossed, you talk about it. You debrief. But but and this is the key. You do not talk about it immediately afterwards you take some time Mm -hmm. you take a day you let the scene sit and then you talk about it and the reason i say that is because 
afterwards, aftercare, all that, everybody is a heightened emotion. And the oh, yeah. time to talk about it is not immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. You take some time, you write down your thoughts, whatever it was, and then you talk about it if you felt something wasn't like acknowledged or followed or a line was crossed. And that is the best way and advice I can give. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense and completely agree. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I also, you know, you were talking about being touch averse in certain contexts. And I think a lot of, a lot of us like touch a lot. A lot of us like deep pressure. A lot of us are touch averse. Um, when I had my kiddos and I was nursing, I nursed for six years Um <laughs> I was so overtouched. I did not want any sex. I did not want anyone to come near me. I did not want anyone to hug me. I did not want the cats to sit on me. I was just like in this space of my life where I was in, I started identifying as, as demisexual gray ace. I just did not want anything related to, to sex or touch. And it was really hard to figure out how to communicate that to partners who had known me to be different before. And then I had this big shift in, in paradigm. Um, and so I remember a couple of times people trying to cuddle and it was like, I used to like cuddles, but I can't handle it now. And it was really hard for them to get that. And I think probably it was partly my fault because I didn't really have a good framing for what was happening at that right. time for various reasons. And though I probably didn't commute. So it was again, the two way, I wish they'd respected my, my lack of consent a little more, but I also don't know that I stated the boundary as clearly as I could have and also there's this kind of guilt sometimes when you don't perform, quote unquote, the way yeah. people expect you to, especially if you're going through a change in your understanding of your sexuality or your, you know, sexual interests. Yeah. Um, and so, but it, it's, it can, I just sort of wanted to just say that I think it's really common for people to sort of shift over the, their course of their life and that you do have to recheck in, like you fill out your spreadsheet, but then you come back next year and you look at it and you judge it. You come yeah. back the next year, you know? So my yeah. spreadsheet has been revised like a bajillion times. It's, yeah. it's kind of hilarious. But also like my sexuality and how I identify has changed multiple times throughout my life. Same. Like, yep. When I first came out to my parents the first time, uh, when I was 15, notice that I said the first time, so buckle up. Uh, I told my mom very vehemently as a 15-year-old, I was full chested and I'm like, mom, I am bisexual. And she's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, okay, I'm not. You're right. I'm joking. And I went upstairs and did not discuss it again with her until I was 18. However, I told my grandmother, who was my best friend and my person I love and basically the person who raised me and like my best, like literally she is everything and was everything to me. And I adore her more than life itself. And I know that she is wherever looking down, like super proud of the person I've become, but yeah. neither here nor there. Uh, when I told my grandmother, 
who uh, I was 13 when I told her that I was bisexual. And then she encouraged me to tell my mom and I told my mom and she's like, no, you're not. I'm like, you're right. You're not. And then we're right back in the not telling her. Uh, but that kind of created that that fear. So I started as bisexual and very much a cisgender he him person. Um, and then I realized that I, I wanted to switch to, to pansexual. And the, the biggest question I often get is what is the difference between pan and bi? And ultimately it's a it's, it's the semantics at the end of the day. Like both yeah. think both really represent the same thing. Depending on who you ask, it might mean something different to them. To me, at least it's just in the definition of the word bi means two, pan means all. So like I feel more comfortable as someone who is now non-binary saying I am pansexual and making it clear that I am fine with whatever you identify as versus bisexual, which sometimes people will consider just cis male or cis female. Now, yeah. I do not believe that is what bisexual represents, but people come up with their own definitions and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, so pan, bi, to me, same concept. The biggest shift was when I started identifying as non-binary and I did tell my mother that and that was a whole conversation over dinner and it was very much so like, why can't you just be a male or a female? I don't care which one, but why, why not? Like why both or none? And I'm like, because I feel like it's fluid and it's kind of like, just feels like I'm in a mood. And of all things, it was drag race that got her across the finish line to understanding. So I guess in that regard, yay. Um, But you know, we need she, representation in the media. That's apparently. Why. Yeah. So she gets it now, but like, that in its own encapsulates, right? Like the fact that even over the 29 years that I've been alive, it has gone from, I thought I was straight. Turns out I wasn't straight. Thought I was bi. Turns out I wasn't bi. Now I'm non-binary and pan and this, that, and demi and aromantic and so on down the line. And all of it comes to say that nobody is ever just X, right? Like I think all of us are constantly evolving and that's mm -hmm. cool to me. Yeah. I think it's really tempting to want to just be able to identify as the one thing. I am this right. kind of person. But realistically, all of us have piles of identifiers and yeah. maybe autistic people more than Betty. Um, because your your story is, is similar to, I guess, mine in that I didn't have the autism diagnosis till after I'd sort of done all my gender sexuality stuff. <laughs> but, um, and then it was like, oh, <laughs> that's why I view all this stuff different. But I've been poly since I started dating. I never really, I think people should be in whatever kind of relationship they want to be in, mm -hmm. you know, best, but I never really understood monogamy on an intrinsic level. And I never really got why it was so important to so many people. And then I knew I was pan sexual for a long time and then, but didn't really feel like a woman, but never really felt trans or yeah. um, even non-binary. And now sometimes I use the non-binary label because people are starting to know what it is. But really, I've sort of settled on the label of agender. Yeah. But nobody knows what agender is. So I just say non-binary. And so you end up, I think, over time, as you learn more about yourself and who you are and what you like and what you don't like and what feels right, because it, it is this very amorphous kind of intuitive process of like, which I'll try this group. Oh, no, they're not me. I'll try this group. <laughs> oh, no, they're not me. I'll try this group. Um and you just end up with these piles. And I think that it's really important to sort of give each each identifier its, its due, right? But it's also, you're not any one of those things. You're all of you, you yeah. know, and they intersect in such unique ways um, that you end up with, again, that spectrum, right? That people like to talk about with neurodivergence. 
but you're also there's a spectrum of gender a spectrum of sexuality a spectrum of, like and we're all these radio dials dialed in yeah. different directions so yeah i i think it's really nice to highlight that for folks and to highlight that change is a normal part of the human growth cycle and that a lot of us move between labels as as we encounter new things and try new things and yeah figure it all out that's it right like inherently all of those experiences lead to what makes you you and that mm -hmm. is what is super cool about the life experience right and i think that not just as you learn about yourself but as we as a world and a community start to learn more about this because for the longest time people were just even afraid to entertain that there could be such things and now mm -hmm. you know i think people are more open-minded to the fact that we don't all have to fit in one freaking box and like that is inherently fantastic right yeah like, and that diversity is needed like if if everybody were the same even in terms of just sexuality like It'd be hella boring. It would be really boring. And also, I, I think we would be missing really important facets of the human experience. I mean, and just, yeah, like just imagine like if every single person that you knew on the just not even knew you, if every single person in the world was just straight, you really think that we would have such great parties and theater and like drag i mean no we'd miss out on that entire thing and that doesn't even go into all the crazy cool things that other communities have given us so i don't even want to envision a world where everybody is just the same because that is how we end up with what world war ii was about and mm -hmm. i'm not about that and so like it really boils down to what makes us different is what makes us great yeah and i think that is something to celebrate instead of run away from i think we touched on this a little bit but one thing maybe one of the the last couple of things I'd love to get your perspective on is just like neurodivergence is stigmatized and gender is certain kinds of genders are stigmatized and all these other things. Kink is highly stigmatized by sure. a portion of society. And I think that a lot of folks, when they start to explore, be, get curious, think more about through their sexuality and through the kinds of things that bring them enjoyment and pleasure, a lot of folks are afraid to sort yeah. of wander into kink. And I think that there's a wider availability of access, at least on the internet nowadays, where you can kind of check stuff out before having to show up in a room full of people sure. um, and, and jump into a scene. But do you have any sort of, I guess, advice or information or ideas for people who were a lot of us were brought up with this idea, as you said, that sex is shameful and especially kinky sex is, is shameful. How do you start to push away from that and really find the things that are good for you that bring you joy and pleasure? Like, what's yeah. the avenue for that? I think the first step everyone has to take, all of us, like as a world even, has to take is understanding that the reason a lot of us were brought up this way was to keep us in a certain box mm -hmm. right like the reason people are brought up viewing kink as shameful or talking about sex as shameful or this that and the other is that it's very liberating and the thing that scares people the most is people liberating themselves and freeing themselves and starting to think differently and realizing that ultimately the system that they have been told to follow isn't good mm -hmm. and so in a meta construct i think the biggest thing that we all have to do is understand that these the reason that we are being told this is inherently based off of a system that is meant to keep us within the constructs of what people want us to be mm -hmm. once you get past that and understand why and realize that 
it can only help you grow as a person to explore these avenues. Even if you end up not in the community, learning about it is inherently good because it will encourage you to talk about it and encourage your friends to learn about it. Once you get past the concept that this is shameful, this is bad, the only reason I've been led to believe this is because people have been trying to keep us in a box, then the world kind of opens up, right? And so my biggest advice is to really stop as a person before you even jump into it and ask yourself, why have I always been told that this is shameful? Why is it always portrayed a certain way on television? Why is it always talked about a certain way? Mm -hmm. And kink for me has led me to be my best self in so many other areas. My biggest advice for people at the get-go is to not go into this with the mindset of, oh, I'm going to see a bunch of weird things. The It'll, be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun and stuff. awesome. Right. Go into it with the mindset that you are creating your own path and mm -hmm. kink allows you to do that. I think that the switch from allowing society's prejudices to disempower you to you being empowered to make your own choices and find your own self-authenticity in the world is a huge piece for a lot of folks. And I think it's always, like you said, valuable to think who benefits by my believing this? Yeah. You know, is this belief going to help me or is it helping all these structures that are in place to, you know, keep the, the rich white people up there? And everyone yeah. else down. Yeah. I, I mean, think that's that a really is, important piece. That That is what it is. It takes people in the system to break the system. Would you be able to tell folks where they can find information about your events, about Lobo, but also about your nonprofit? Yeah. Um. So, you know, uh, jakemaxwellproductions.com uh, is a great place to start for the event. Lots of videos and, and stuff out there. Um, all of our telegram is on there. Um, the Loboinitiative.com is a great place to check out the nonprofit. It's finally up and going. But also we're on Twitter at Lights Out DC at the Lobo Initiative. Um, I am always available. If anybody ever wants to reach out to me, too, I'm happy to like talk to people. One of the things that I get the most joy from is hiring people reach out and explain their own stories because it motivates me to keep going, right? It yeah. it knows that we're doing the right things. But also, I'm just happy to hear from people and like what I can do to help them. I think if anybody takes one thing away from this podcast, it would be that, yes, Lobo is great. And yes, the Lobo Initiative is great. And I'm super proud of that. And our team is super proud of that. And I've been very lucky to do what I've done. And all that is super phenomenal. And I would love nothing more than you to check that out. But if you're only going to check out one thing at the end of listening to this, I just want to quickly talk about Altera Productions. Mm -hmm. um, they are a awesome, awesome, awesome like space in Philadelphia. Uh, they are one of the spaces we are going to be working with. Uh, they are a multi-purpose space. Uh, they have circus classes and cabarets and events. They have open training. They are run by an incredibly diverse group of women and talented, talented people, all of whom who are neurodivergent and disabled and all these wonderful things. And they are just amazing humans. I would mm -hmm. encourage you to check them out. Thanks so much for listening to the Neurodiverging Podcast today. I hope that was informative. I get, hope it gave you something to think about. I hope it was of interest. If you ever have ideas for topics we should cover on the Neurodiverging Podcast, I hope you will send us off an email at contact at neurodiverging.com. We would love to hear what you're interested in having us cover. And 
just before you go today, one last plug for the Patreon. Patreon is where everything happens. It's where all of our educational content is. It's where all of our group coaching is. It's where the all of the ad-free podcasts are. If you are interested in listening without ads, you can subscribe to the Patreon for a couple of bucks a month and get all those perks and support a podcast that you think is valuable to you. That's at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Thank you so much to the patrons who make this possible. And as always, please remember, we are all in this together. Bye. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.